Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift with the Dwarves Door of Lantern men's recap 184 kilometers on Wednesday before Tour of Flanders. If E3 is the mini Ronda, then I don't really know what this race is. Entertaining in parts nonetheless. It was actually a pretty good classics race and, you know, we've been short of races the last two days, so I'm not complaining for once. It has many of the climbs you'll be familiar with, the Nocteburg or the Cote de Triou, which is like 1200 meters, seven and a half percent. It's pretty hard. And if the hot on is straight afterwards, another 700 meters, that can really split apart the race. But the final isn't so hard. It's more like 400 meter, three percent rises, some mid flat cobbles. It's theoretically supposed to give sprinters a chance. I think, I think Tim Merlier's won this. I made that up. I thought he had. <laughs> he came third. He came third in 2021. Uh, so close enough. the sprinters get close, but it's still pretty selective. Vanderpool and Pagacha skipped it. Uh, were you surprised by that, Benji? Because Vanderpool won this last year and then won Ronde van Vlaanderen. I don't know. It's intriguing because some years we have the favorites for RVV do really bad at Dwarves of Vlaanderen. Yeah. I swear that two years ago, Vanderpool and Alaphilippe were getting dropped early on in the race. And then last year, Vanderpool was so good in this race where it was kind of the opposite scenario. And for this year, they're just not lining up. Alaphilippe is here because Quickstep's desperate for classics. If they would have gotten this one, they would have pretended it was like the, the big trophy, I, I would have to guessed. To me, the translation's the same as Ronde van Vlaanderen. So yeah, you could trick nah, me. Nah, 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 it's nah. Straight true Flanders <laughs> versus the Tour Around of Flanders. Around Flanders, okay. Um. <laughs> Major difference. Isn't the French though, Traverse? A traverse la Flandre? Mm, I, have to, I have to fact check that. Um, anyway, yeah, as Benji said, if Quickstep got any result here, that would be a big thing for them, the way they're going. Pidcock makes his return from concussion. Ganner as well from his crash in Penvelheim. And Turner has been looking good. Jumbo don't bring Van Aert, but they do have... Or Van Hooydonk, but they do have... Uh, or Van Baler, actually. He was supposed to lead this race, I believe. And they bring Coy Benoit. Van der Sander, who's been very good, actually. Uh, Laporte and Affini. This is really a race where you're looking at. If all the big, the big, you know, superstars, Pog, NVDP, wow, right off into the distance on sun, yeah. on Sunday. They're right off into the distance in Roubaix. They did it in E3. This is the race where if you're an FDJ, a Bahrain, an Ineos, you really can be trying to shoot for a top result. Um, at least that's how I, how I, or yeah. Pedersen or Trek and Pedersen and Sturvin Benji, who are big protagonists in this, uh, race, but we had an interesting break. Some would say even disrespect to the man on, you know, X. <laughs> Certainly disrespectful that this man <laughs> was able to get in the early breakaway. <laughs> Alexander Kristoff from, you know, X Leon Heinschke in there as well for DSM. We had Oyed Lascano 
from Movistar. Evgeny Gidik, a rider with a solid 5 DNFs in a row at Astana, I'm pretty sure. Zukowski as well for Q36.5 and Wart van Hof for Team Flanders Balwaze. Still calling them Sport Flandern in my head though. Alexander Kristoff in a breakaway. I like it. I like it. It's kind of the, the Taco van der Horn strategy of let's try and get in the breakaway because I've come to a point where my reputation doesn't perceive me anymore in these races where people don't mark me instantly. And maybe that allows me to get into the final of a race by accident. <laughs> well, not by accident, according to his legs after the race, but I guess we'll go into it because this breakaway did get a, a solid gap. They had a lead and the peloton was keeping it relatively okay so it wasn't like 10 minutes or so but we went towards like 90k to go and that's where the action really starts kicking off where those hills starts coming in because you said it when it comes to the parkour Dwarzdorf Vlaanderen is kind of hilly kind of has cobbles but it's also not the Ronde van Vlaanderen where the hills are like 27 in a row or whatever so you gotta use the hills that are there if you really want to make a difference here and that's why it starts relatively early but some of these climbs are really early. We are talking about raise of 185k roughly. So you're already at looking looking at action at the the first Knochtenberg, Kortekeer, and so forth, which is with 90k to go. And Trixiga Frida was one of the teams that clearly was intrigued to lighten things up in this in this race. And I'm gonna ask you a question in a second before I will tell you what they did. We have um Trixiga Fredo doing the usual strategy. We know that the Kortekeer has a narrowing before you get to the Kortekeer. So positioning is key towards it, but they line it up so significantly that the peloton starts splitting up as they move towards the Kortegeer. But you always know, on the Kortegeer, the teams block the road. Trek went to the front through that strategy by lining it up, by breaking the peloton apart, and then stop at the front of the peloton. And that's a strategy we see in E3 for the last three years, where before the Tijenberg, we see that exact scenario play out. And that gives some opportunities for some riders to try something. In the past, we've seen Simmons attack there. Kro Anderson today was Lewis Aski that benefited from this scenario and went up the road a tiny bit, wanted a gap before they got to the next hill, which is Berchtenhaute. But it's like a longer portion between the Korteker and Berchtenhaute than there is in E3 between the Korteker and the Tijenberg. So it would be very difficult to split it up already in this descend of the Kortiker and so forth, but there were split-ups there because Trexigafredo on top decides to line it up again and we get splits throughout the peloton. And the intriguing aspect here, the one thing I want to talk about you significantly here is they then start solo attacking with Mess Peterson. And it's in my head, that's Jasper Steven's job, right? It's like if Yumbo started launching Laporte instead of having a Van Hooydonk, a Van der Sander, a Dylan Van Baal, or it's like if, let's pick another team, Alperson started using Philipson to anticipate there. And you'd yeah. be like, isn't that Quinton Herman's job? Like, haven't we seen this very frequently from Pedersen spending early in classics? I don't know. Yeah. He can't be scared of getting dropped on the Bergton Hout, right? I wouldn't be in his scenario, especially in this race well, where back. I feel like a lot of sprinters are betting on, a lot of teams are betting on their sprinter in this race and the riders that might attack are the likes of an Alaphilippe and so forth. So if I'm Peterson, I want to save my energy for Berchtenhout and not spend it before Berchtenhout trying to get into moves necessarily. And we see that scenario happening, Mess Peterson attacking with 80 kilometers to go in between the Kortkir and Berchtenhout, Gana closing it down and so forth. So for example, 
it would be as if Gano wasn't closing it down, but Pitcock was, which is also something you wouldn't expect to be happening. So Gano's closing it instead, which is a more logical decision from Ineos than Mespedes and going early for Trek. And in the meanwhile, just want to wrap it up. Luizaski, who went forward, is now caught again, but at least he anticipated the Kortekeer <laughs> and the descent yeah. of the Kortekeer because it didn't really work out until Berchtenhout. I think their goal really is with the anticipation on the Kortekeer, both at E3 and both here in Dwarves of London, is trying to get an advantage for the next hill. But the section between the Kortekeer and the Tainberg in E3 isn't long enough for that. And in this race, the section between the Kortekeer and Berchtenhout was raised too fast for that strategy to be actually effective. But Berchtenhout is the hill where we can expect the action to happen. It's, it's a hill where Von Bala went two years ago, if I recall correctly, he just rode off into the distance and wasn't seen again, which was a really boring race, no offense. And the year after, I think Vanderpool went on Berchtenhout last year, if I recall correctly, as well. So this is one of those climbs where people go. I'm also pretty sure Alan Piper now has a bench on that climb. There's like something in Belgian news about that. So cool. Anyway, that's a hill where attacks will follow. And Quickstep were lining it up. And uh, let's just be, let's just say it. Berton Houten was not very kind to Alaphilippe and Melier and so forth in Quickstep. Because Alaphilippe attacks from the wheel of his teammate, but has a gear issue while attacking. So he kind of drops five positions from the front and then has to move back up if he wants to continue his attack. So that attack was completely bottled as a consequence of that gear issue. And in the meanwhile, Melier crashes halfway to Peloton alone. Yeah. <laughs> takes out it's, half the well blocks half the bells yeah, on it's yeah, a narrow yeah. climb and you got to keep in mind what happens then Alaphilippe kind of keeps pushing Laporte keeps pushing who's also in that front part of the peloton now Olaf Coyne meanwhile basically out of the race because at the top of the the Berchtenhout he, he he's just stood there according to sports a motorbike guy apparently was a stomach issues or something in the race which is obviously not the most likable thing but we come to a scenario where there's like a reduced peloton after Berchtenhauten and what would you expect what teams are you expect to make a move if you got a reduced group Yumbo they always want to thin it down Yumbo don't like Laporte's quick and all but their goal is not to go to a sprint today with Laporte taking his chances against Pedersen and Philipson. Yeah. That's not the idea. So Yumbo will want, will want to thin it down more. Ineos also, like when I look at Narvaez, Ghana, Pidcock, Turner, they're all riders who I'm like very, very strong. Could, can win a three-up sprint, not going to win the big sprint. FDJ as well with Madawaz, who I think has had positioning issues. Like he's not been... Oh. I don't know. He's just been following a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and also, uh, Matthews is coming back from injury. It's hard to say. I mean, all the while, we haven't mentioned, the breakaway is just plugging along, yeah. like with a nice 132 minute gap. Lascano and Christoph doing a lot of work in now a group of, uh, still a group of four. But before we move into the real phase of the race, mention our show partner, Zwift. April's mission is to ride 145 and a half Ks because the Paru Bay fam Avex Swift is this month. Starting April 3rd, conquer those kilometers, get special, unlocks a sweet watch the fam kit, socks, cap, and a unique mission badge. The women's Paru Bay fam Avex Swift rather is on April 
eighth. Can't wait to watch Elisa Longboardini, Lizzie Diagnan. They've dominated the first two editions. Let's see how SD Works goes this year. They'll be the big favorites. So don't miss your chance to watch the fam's race for their chance to claim the title of Queen of the Cobbles. It's coming up fast in a couple of weekends, and it's happening thanks to Zwift's support. Anyway, Benji, we've got Canaryberg, but no moves, not surprising, and Laporte's job is to sit around in this zone, right? He yep. sits in this zone where if it's Benoit with three, he won't chase. And then if it's about eight, six to eight, then he'll start to move because then you've got two FDJ or you've got two EF, and so he then follows behind. And it makes sense that Benoit moves there on the steepest parts. Canaryberg is like 1K, 8%. And uh, Kung is, I don't know, FDJ... They've not been as aggressive this year, or I don't know. Like, yep. here it's Kung bringing back rather than sort of being right there with Madawaz. I agree. It's like they haven't been anticipating moves as much as they've been chasing them this year is what I would rate it as. And that Canadiobatic move by, by Benoit, like a Philipson and Vermeers, they're trying to catch up and so forth. And it really doesn't really work out, this move, because the Kung brings it back, but also because Benoit, Laporte, Philipson and Vermeers we're not actually, I think it was Hermans instead of Vermeers, by the way. We're not actually collaborating at their best, but we're getting a bit further off that Canadio bet again. There's this numerous streak of attacks by plenty of riders in the group from Pitcock to Alaphilippe to Maduas to a shit ton of other riders. The Lee has cracked, by the way, on the previous climb, but it's kind of at the back of the peloton, hoping he can survive. And Debyce is trying to hope that he can keep the, uh, the Lee in that group as well. And Peterson has been invisible ever since his move before Berchtenhout. So I'm like, I'm I'm getting word from S. Peterson here. And we're moving towards the Knoktebed, which is the real, the last proper climb. We can talk about the Noka de Berg climbs at the end, but that's like uh, an exaggerated We're not, we're not talking hill. about them. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about the Noka de Berg. On the Vuelta parkour, they don't even, <laughs> they don't even label this. <laughs> the legendary Noka de Berg, man. Come on. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't know they did it. I don't even think they brought it up in the race on a graphic. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> hey, they were relevant. I'll get you to it. They were okay. relevant. Right. Anyway, we're getting to the Knoktebed. You got to keep in mind the peloton is now around one minute and 10 seconds, still behind a Christoph and Lascano. And I think Heinschke and also Von Hof were still in the front group. So four riders. Those riders are still trucking on at the front. So crazy ride by those four. And Josh van der Sande launches Benoit on the Knokteberg, on the Côte de Trier once again, and a group forms. And this is a, an intriguing group, I'd say. Quinton Hermans, Tish Benoit with Laporte, Stefan Kuhn with Maduas, Nelson Paulus with Mikel Honore, and Nervais. You always know that Nervais ain't going to take over much in a group like that, right? Well, he shouldn't. He's got, yeah. like, there's three teams with two teammates. He, I don't know who he had behind in theory. Um, I guess they I couldn't see many Ineos in the group behind. The Hermans as well has got Philipson behind. So yep. he's also isolated the other solo rider, so he shouldn't work too much. The quickest man on paper in the group is Laporte uh as well. So Benote and Laporte should get I mean it took a little bit of time for this group to start working actually. They didn't immediately snap to it. It was only after Kung 
started to get them moving. Benoit skipped a couple of pulls, and then I think Paulus let Honore's wheel go to punish Yumbo. And, but then they started to move a little bit, but it was... And also, they had to recover. Um, but still, good situation for EF. Good situation for FDJ. Like, you've still got numbers. Yeah, it's not ideal that Yumbo have two, but it means the chase behind from Lotto Destiny, it was only them for a while, is just Lotto Destiny. So yep. even though this group wasn't... This group wasn't, like, immediately chasing full gas to the breakaway. Everyone was thinking... Okay, how how do we play this? We've got Laporte in the group. We've got two guys who are sitting on in Hermans and Narvaez. We've still got to catch the breakaway. It was still very tense. And that played into the hands of Lascano and Christoph because they dropped the other two, Hainschke and um the Balwaza rider. <laughs> and Ranger off on hold, man. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really get the gap ever below 25 or 30 seconds. And I thought, yeah. are we about to watch a Strata Bianca rerun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of looked like that for a second because Christoph and Lascano were really bloody strong on this race. And I was expecting Christoph to be the big engine in that group, but Lascano was stronger today, in my opinion. Lascano was very, very strong. Every time Lascano went to the front, Christoph looked like this. And if you didn't watch that on YouTube, I just had my teeth out. So that's what Christoph looked like. And I, I was kind of hoping they'd make it because the gap there was quite, quite stagnant for a long period of time. With 45k to go, it was 50 seconds. With 30k to go, it was roughly 30 seconds. So I was hoping that that second group would have like cooperation issues and it looked like it was that because in the next 15 kilometers barely 10 seconds went of the time there and with 12k to go we've got a situation group one is still Christopher Lascano 20 seconds on group two which is the Laporte, Benoit, Maduas, Kung, Paolo, Zanore and so forth group and then 20 seconds on a peloton that has regrouped Lotto has thrown everything that they have yeah. at the fan there. Free They've zone. got the busts and some other dude probably because there were four Ankle. next to the Lee. Yeah, they were all chasing and they did loads of work there and they closed the gap significantly. But I don't want to erase the magical attractions of UAE here. They Incredible. did exactly what they did last year in the race. Last year was accidental where Pogacar had to bridge because he was caught up by positioning towards the yeah. group of Vanderpool and he completely had a shot spatat. He completely, he, he tried chasing solo and he, he dropped back to the group behind because he couldn't make it. And this time around, they tried it with Trentin at first. And then 20 kilometers later, UAE was like, Wellens was like, uh, I'm kind of jealous of Trentin. I want to do that. So potato chase number two and it didn't work out. Surprise. <laughs> because the gap was... If it's under 10 seconds, Wellens can pretty much close it. He's a strong rider yep. on one of these light cobble sections where they actually dishonorably ride in the gutter. But it was <laughs> 22 seconds. And so you're going to have that initial... You're going to take 12 seconds off the clock or 10 seconds off the clock with your huge surge, like Fabio Jakobsen did in uh, on the weekend. But then it's 10 seconds and you don't have a motorbike in front of you usually, yep. and the group has a motorbike in front of you, 
and they're eight guys. Yeah, they're faffing about a bit, but you every 30 seconds that pass that you haven't bridged onto the wheel, it makes it much, much more likely that it's a um, chase of the potatoes. And that's exactly what happened with Wellens. Maybe it's this is the classics equivalent of Almeida and Soler without Poggy, uh, <laughs> Poggy at the race. And also, why weren't Trek helping Lotto? They had numbers. I agree. Fully agree with that. I think Bjerg was in the group as well. So they had three riders and Bjerg maybe they probably would have done it if Milano or Ackermann were here. In no, no, why group. didn't Trek pace? I think, hmm, I think Peterson was dropped earlier and he had to come back. So in that portion of time, I'm expecting them not to pace until Peterson is back. But no, after he that, was back when he was back when Lotto were chasing for Delhi yeah. when it was like four or five guys. Then they should have joined. Stavon and then they joined later. Punctures, but <laughs> and eventually, yeah, they have a lot of we'll see in Rubay. Anyway, the group gets to Nokerberg, whatever it's their little rise, <laughs> and I think Nielsen Palace was at least the second strongest in this group, maybe the strongest rider in this group. But he mm -hmm. didn't play it that well, I don't think. Because first, he was pulling a lot himself. Mm -hmm. Secondly, he gets to these rises, and already Honoré was like just hanging on some other climbs. And he's not attacking, but he's full gas driving it up yeah. this climb, basically chasing the right, but no, right in the wheel. And Honore is just almost on a gap and he's just getting cooked. And he's going to need that guy in this finish. He's not beating Yumbo 1v2. And I think he spent a little bit too much there and he should have been conserving uh, and was a little bit too eager to pull and aggressive. And Yumbo, I think profited from that pretty well and that really eats into the gap and then they see the group is it says nine seconds but and i'm like is laporte osbino just going to get on the front and drive this because trek are now chasing finally yeah. but it's a little bit too late but the group ahead can see and Lascano is driving it he looks like cancellara the spanish version of cancellara and christoph's also helping him but chris christoph laporte then eats into the gap and it's done those two christoph stops and now we're thinking, well, if they start finessing with Trek chasing, can the Peloton come back still <laughs> at this point? But I think it was 5Ks to go, I'll say, 5-6Ks to go, court, group, three teams with two riders. We still think Christoph could win the sprint. I mean, who knows? <laughs> and I think it was EF who moved first, Benji, with Honoré. Mm -hmm. Our commentator said that Benoit made a move and Honoré responded to it. But only thing mm. I could see was that Honoré was making a move at that and point. And Benoit so, was in the wheel. Yeah, so I'm going to be guessing that Honoré made the first move there and that Benoit jumped to the wheel. And that's how you've got these situations where a few riders go and then it's intriguing. Then there's an issue for a certain few riders in that team. Hedmans need to react solo. He doesn't have a teammate. Nervous. All the other riders without teammates need to respond. Nervous. Kristoff as well, and Lascano. And when those two riders went, uh, went first, Honoré and Sofov, you always see one of the Grupama boys close it down first, but there were moments where actual gaps were being created, right? Yeah, and so this is... Yumbo with Benoit and Laporte have got two options. You can put Benoit in the front and say, drive it really, really hard and just pace. 
to the finish. That's option one. Risky because he'll get attacked if he does that. And then Laporte has to close it and then you have a mess. Option two. No, sorry, there's three options. Option two, (laughs) Benoit attacks himself. But then he's the first mover disadvantage. EF will be in the wheel 100%. Kum or Matawaz will be in the wheel. So option three is you wait. Well, I don't even think they wait. They just call the break. And you follow. He gets in a move with three guys, one yep. from EF, one from FDJ. And he's like, well, man, no real advantage. And he stops. And then Christoph brings Laporte back. And Kung was, I think, on Laporte's wheel or at least nearby. Yep. And Laporte comes back with speed. He goes to the other left-hand side of the road. He goes in front of, I think, Honoré, who's not going to close him down. Out of the side for two seconds. Guy's a you know, decent sprinter, more than decent. A few hard pedal strokes into the motor draft. Kung realizes, oh, shit. I better chase that. But the gap's already created. Kung's pulling, Kung's pulling, but the gap is expanding, and the second Kung sits down, the race is over. Like, exactly. Paulus is not going to pull this back with Matawaz in the wheel. And, yeah, it's just, it, we could see it coming. I obviously, it would have been nice to see Lascano win or an FDJ, like, to make it a little bit different, frankly. Um, but Yumbo played it really well, and Laporte was pretty good, too. Exactly. But then the counterattack came, the legendary counterattack. Oh, by, yeah, Lascano. By Paulus. <laughs> Paulus makes a move. And then the Spanish Cancellara, or how I would say, the new reincarnation of Alex Aramburu, Oye Lascano jumps out the wheel Mate, of Paulus. Aramburu ever done this? <laughs> <laughs> Just let me be, okay? <laughs> Lascano follows Paulus. They ride off into the distance. They nearly catch... No, they don't nearly catch Laporte. I'm just dreaming at this point. <laughs> They stay ahead of the Peloton. The Peloton catches everyone else because Benoit just sits the group up yeah. and marks a few moves. He lets those two go because they, they're not going to catch Laporte. But yeah, I thought it was Hermans. I thought I saw yeah. a blue jersey. I was like, ah, it must be Hermans. That's Carno. And he's pulling. And when he takes over from Paulus, Paulus is like on the gap. It's unbelievable. And Laporte goes ahead. He wins. Like, you know, good job. But then we see behind, we're like, can Lascano get second? Powers comes around the corner, leads him out. Lascano comes out of his wheel. He comes second. I think it's like, that's got to be one of the best results for Movistar in, yeah, in Dwarves Duel of London, if I had to guess, in a oh, Spanish rider. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably one of their best results in a couple of race full stop, not just yeah. Dwarves of London. And it's not the first time they do something crazy in couples this year with Jorgensen and the, uh, the other guy the other day. Uh, Garcia Cortina. Garcia Cortina. It's basically the other guy versus Aramburu. We all know that. But uh, <laughs> a really solid result by Orlescano. The intriguing fact is like, but what does this say about Lascano? Because he does this once. And then I'm like, where can I do this again? I think he won a race last year also because of having a solid engine, which was through the Wallony stage in Hervé. But mm. he doesn't show it often. And that inconsistency is a bit of an issue, I think, for like cobble races. And he also had to do it for a break to get into this position. But hey, Taco did it at Kuna Bessel Maybe Lascano can do the Taco business in Roubaix, for example, get ahead into a group and anticipate in that way. I mean, he didn't 
he joined Movistar in 2022. Yeah. He, he's never done Tour of Flanders. He's never done E3. He did opening weekend last year, and this year he didn't even do opening weekend. So they sent him to the UAE Tour. What's a bit odd. Um, I guess it was the TTT, but in hindsight, it looks like he could. I mean, it's a great result, as you said, but, yeah, will he be allowed in the break again? Because it, it was a narrow-run thing. Um, but, yeah, huge engine, obviously, to break away again from the group after being in the break all day and then beat Palace in the sprint is really, really impressive. So, yeah, hats off to him. It's nice to see different riders getting results, like Laz Cano and also Palace. Of course, he's good on the cobbles. Not so, no one's surprised by that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. top 10, Laporte, Laz Cano, Palace. Philipson wins the bunch sprint behind for fourth. I'll come back to that. Pedersen, Lee, Ballerini, Pasqualon, Legac, and Hollett rounding out the top 10. Shouldn't Hermans have blocked the group ahead, Benji? Seeing Philipson wins it from behind? Because he started pulling. Yeah, I feel like he should have. I think uh, I, I noted that with like 10-ish kilometers to go or 12 kilometers to go where he was, he was actively pulling in yeah. that group and... I didn't understand why, because from that group, he had a very limited chance of winning against all teams with multiple riders in there. So he was going to get attacked and he wouldn't be able to chase that down every single one. So I would have expected him to sit up. I would have expected him to go for Philipson in the group behind. And they did go for that, but they also went for Hermans at the front. Then when that happens, you're betting on two horses and you get neither at the finish line, unfortunately. But a lot of good racing today. Mespedesen sprinting to fifth. Track should have also paced earlier. Yoe should have paced, even though they didn't necessarily have the sprinter here. They, because I don't count Trenton as a pure sprinter, obviously. But um, what do we learn from a race like this for RVV? Nothing, right? Just that um, Paulus is as good as couple on couples as we expected him to be. Yeah, Paulus doing Tour of Flanders this weekend. He should be good. He's also one of those riders with, you know, the way they ride Ronde van Vlaanderen with the selections being made on steep climbs like the Paterberg or the steep part of Quarmont, he's a rider that that's where he's also very, very strong. I do think I do think he struggles sometimes then once the selection is made to get the best results. Like if you look at his uh, races this year, he won Master Lays. That was a one minute 15 solo. He was a 13K solo. And then it's a lot of seconds and top fives, like at Alp-Maritima Duvar. Um, so, like, for example, I think he was in a group with Vauquelin, Genietz, and Parry Pantra in stage one of Alp-Maritima, and yep. Vauquelin countered the group with a, you know, a minute left, and he, he missed out. It's just I don't always expect him to be the one coming out on top in those scenarios, like Marion Classic uh, last year. Was yep. with him and Piccolo was a bit of a mess. I feel like Paulus' scenario for RVV would be the Von Bala scenario where he tries to get away early and drops people on the climbs, and that way TTs himself into a position where he can benefit at the final. But I would also like to say, quick step on today, I feel like they're misusing Alaphilippe a lot of the time in the couple classics where, like, on one end, Berton Howard is a really good launching pad. But why do they need to be a team that opens up the race? Because they're not the favorites. What do you think Benoit's going to do? Like, just sit on the wheel and benefit. But no, but 
if you're Quickstep, uh, to your point, what, you think he's just going to sit in all day and yeah. maybe to give a lead out to Laporte from a group of 50? Come on. Like, Yumbo's, the script is pretty obvious in these classics. It's yeah. smaller groups and then play numbers. Like, they're not going for a big old bunch sprint. So if you know, if you're not on top shape and you know Benoit's going to launch it at some point, you got to make them group. And you look at those names, Benji, no disrespect to Narvaez or Hermans, but Julian Philippe's on a lot more money than Narvaez and Hermans yep. for a reason. And I, I think physically he can make it. It's yep. also, it's what you tweeted the other day. Yes, Asgren and Alaphilippe, definitely not as dominant as 2020, 2021, yep. but also they're making a lot of mistakes. I agree. And next to that, it also is counterproductive when you're also having Melier in the same race with lots of the mystiques trying to get Melier to the finish line. Because even if Merlier doesn't crash on Bertrand Haute, you've got Alaphilippe attacking him because Merlier's in the middle of the peloton while Alaphilippe is attacking at the front. So it's like super counterproductive, these two riders in that scenario where you should utilize Alaphilippe to mark people if you want to keep Merlier in the race and benefit from the scenario that Alaphilippe can say, oh, I don't need to ride, I've got a sprinter behind, instead of using him to open up the race, you know? Yeah, it's... Hundred percent. It's how Alperson kind of used Hermans, um, except he pulled a bit at the end. And I think I think Hermans pulled because he thought, not maybe wrongly, Group Three is not coming back. If I don't pull, we don't catch Lascano and Christoph, and we get no result. So, I think that was kind of his rationale when he was pulling at that point. But yeah, it's yeah, it's like quick step got to be more passive uh, got to like yeah i think alaphilippe can surely can follow the move on canaryberg from from Benoit. does he yeah. win from that situation probably not uh but at least he's in the group and <laughs> you know fighting for a win because they've not even been the only quick step rider in the group was uh honore who left last year yeah <laughs> they made group the group so but yeah, to your point, what what do we learn for Flanders? Not much. Like Laporte's in pretty good shape. I still think Laporte is going to struggle to really follow on the steep bits when the big yeah. guys launch it on the weekend. That's not changed. But note, I think is in better shape than maybe RE three. He had a mechanical. He's going to need to be big. Van Bala, though, is the key rider for them on Sunday, and his shape is unknown because he didn't yep. start this race. Um, uh, NDDP and Hog didn't do it, mate, which is a shame. Mate, mate, we'll talk about it on the preview. It's coming. Yeah. I'm sure we've got to do the preview after this. But yeah. Quite enough race. Just uh, a shame that it's just the same. I mean, does this mean Wout's gift of Ken Vavelhem looks worse? No. We should reopen that debate. <laughs> wait, wait. I'll ask my local uh, my local retired Flemish cycling <laughs> can you, rider. Can you just, yeah, can you go outside and, and just <laughs> ask the first Belgian that walks past you on the street in West Flanders <laughs> what they now think of Wout gifting Van Vabelham after the very next race, Laporte wins a World Tour One Day Classic um, of his own accord? I would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> me too me too anyway Laporte wins 
and uh, Les Carnos one to watch, and Palace is looking very, very good. So, anyway, that was Dwell's Duel of London. Hope you enjoyed the recap. Uh, we will touch on the women's race that will finish when we do the preview of women's Tour of Flanders, as long with the men's Tour of Flanders later. That's what we've got to get to. And until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 